I don't think I'm putting any of this on the podcast, Brad. <laughs> your stories, Dan, because of all of the wrong places that you seem to find yourself in or that you have found yourself in during your life. I mean, I can't, I can't recount <laughs> hardly any, you know, it's amazing not only that you remember them, but that you've literally been in these places that really most of us uh, have never dealt with some of the accidents and, and wrong place stories that you have. Yeah, I, I was saying about that the other day, um, Brad, and I think some of the factors, I was like, why do I get in these situations or why do I end up in these places? Uh, and I, I was saying, what are the, what is, what's different that, uh, and, and one of the things I think that, that gets me into some of these situations is that I'm often by myself. You know, I'm often not traveling with others or I'm often uh, going out in the wilderness by myself or I'm kind of uh, doing the loner thing because I, I feel very comfortable doing that. I remember when I lived in Nevada and I was actually a pastor for a short time at a church in Nevada and I would be hiking up in the mountains, right? There, this is northern Nevada and beautiful mountains, the Ruby Mountains. And I'd be hiking up there and the, and the congregation People in the congregation be so nervous about you can't go out by yourself hiking, and uh, and they were always nervous that uh, something would happen to me. But I always feel comfortable with that. So one of the things I think I thought is that I'm by myself, and the other is that I I rarely hike on the trail, or I rarely can go the normal way. I don't know why I always want to do an adventure. I always want to go off. So, I, and that's what they were even more nervous about in, in, in Nevada was that they're like, you're not even on a trail. If you get hurt or something, who's going to come for you? You know, well, and, and as, as, you know? as the listeners are getting to know Dan, that's a perfect metaphor for, uh, for the way you live your life. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so uh, I would often just go off off trail and 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 that's how I live my life and so and, and then also my faith I think causes me when I'm around in the city and around people my faith causes me to kind of go off trail is socially uh, one of my other friends uh, Ron uh, who is from Trinidad and Tobago he he I was talking to him about this and I said you know I'm a I'm a total introvert with Americans and my, and people, white people <laughs> in a sense. And I, I, but for some reason I'm an extrovert when I'm in Mexico and, and when I'm with people of color or people on the fringe with the poor and I'm, I'm a different person and I kind of go off trail with them. I'm, I'm willing to talk to anybody. Are you um, talking about this is what you feel or what your friend Ron has said? No, we talk. Yeah, I guess I yeah. wasn't clear on that. Yeah. We were talking about that and, and he said it made sense to him. And he's but, a black man. Yeah, he, yeah. he's African-American. He grew up in the Caribbean. He's been a missionary and I feel really comfortable with him and, and, and just like, 
I feel most comfortable with. And he said, oh, I know. He said, because you you lack confidence uh, because of the way you were raised and often with people of your own uh, status and uh, age, you don't feel confident with them, but you feel confident with people that you feel maybe you relate to more, the poor or yeah. or people on the fringe or people, marginalized people, yeah. because often I, I think I feel marginalized uh, inside. And, and, and he was pointing that out. And I felt like that was really eye-opening for me because in Mexico, I feel very much like an extrovert. I will speak out, you know, to people. And, and normally I prefer to be the three weeks by myself in Lake Powell kind of thing. But, uh, but that's how I run into these stories. And so, and sometimes maybe I, I shouldn't be where I am, uh, I have many animal stories. <laughs> just one to just show you that this this is kind of typical of who I am. I was hiking uh, in some. Actually, I was with somebody that time this time, but I was I was bushwhacking, and we were in Southern California, and and we were not taking a trail, and there were these really thick bushes and sagebrush, and we were just climbing through these bushes, trying to get to these rocks. And I was leading this guy and I said, we can go through here. We get up on those rocks. And so then we get to these rocks and we start climbing up these rocks. And there's kind of this edge to the rock that goes around. I can't see the other side, but I reach around for a, a handhold and I'm reaching around and I feel something, but it doesn't feel like rock. It feels clammy. It feels kind of cold and I'm touching and I'm bouncing my hand over it. And I'm like, oh, and then I pull my hand away and I'm like, what is that? I felt that that feels familiar. But and so I I get myself stay, uh, set on the rock and I peek my head around the corner. I peek my head around the corner and on the ledge, on the ledge that I was reaching for is a rattlesnake. A snake. And it's all curled up and it's sitting there and I'm just touching this rattlesnake <laughs> with my and it didn't do anything. One because it was in the shade, it was cold, but two, it had just eaten something. So it had this big lump right past its head, almost like it had just eaten something. And I was actually very fortunate because that was very much the wrong place. Oh my but my timing was perfect because the snake didn't respond by biting me. It, it just sat there while I <laughs> felt it out blind. like a blind man. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but that's kind of typical of the things I get into because I go off trail because I'm kind of adventuring and I don't always, I'm not reckless. People, some no, people think yeah. I'm reckless, but yeah. I'm, I don't always think completely ahead. Well, the other amazing know? thing that I noticed, Dan, um, a pattern in these stories is in my opinion, you are miraculously, and I will, I will say divinely protected. Mm -hmm. I just, I, there, there's always that sense that something should have happened. Something should have gone wrong. <laughs> you should have gotten hurt or died and you're always protected. Which I, you know, which makes sense to me, but I don't, right. it's not a belief I have. I'm not, it's weird because I wrestle with that, Brad, like, on the one hand, I do believe God has protected me in many situations and, and saved my life. But at the same time, I'm not kind of one of those uh, type of Christians that believe, oh, God will just 
he'll give me whatever I want. He'll do, he, he's got my back. Like he's my man kind of, he's my, my, my buddy. I don't believe that. I believe that I could have died and it would still be God's will. It's not, for me, it's not like it's God's will. If I don't die in this situation or I don't, or this doesn't have, or if everything's smooth, that's not what I really believe. I believe that if something traumatic does come to me, that God can be in it also. And which is strange because I do believe at the same time that I've seen many times where God has protected me and I don't know why, mm -hmm. right. you know, yeah. uh, why I hit uh, a car at 50, at 50, 50, 60 miles an hour in my motorcycle and don't break anything. <laughs> I don't understand that. Right. And, uh, and so um, I don't know what God is doing with me, but these are the stories that I've lived through and that God has given me to share. I, I want to share. Yeah. Um, Brad, my mind is, I want to share some stories because I want to change the, the tone a little bit. Um, I'll just share some quick stories about. Well, don't rush them. Okay. Don't rush your stories. But these. Share the details. I and part of, I think part of this whole thing too, is that I'm very much a person of imagination. Um, that for me, uh, it's easy for me to imagine a world where God is operating and where strange things are happening and I'm connecting with God in different ways than maybe just sitting and praying. And one of the ways um, that I connect with God is playing. And I believe that one of my gifts is play. It didn't start as a gift. When I grew up, I've shared some of that. I, I felt very traumatized growing up uh, with an angry father and no mother. And one of my refuges was to go out and play in the backyard or in the front yard and play and create an imaginary world to play in. And I was often playing in order to escape as a child. But as I grew up as a, into an adult and, and felt con finally connected with God and, and, and the world play became a, a gift for me. And it's actually a gift that I can turn on fairly easily, especially with little kids. I, sometimes I don't know why little kids like, like me or trust me or say things to me that they don't even know me. And I, I have a way of looking at them like that just says, you can trust me, let's play. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been in like doctor offices and kids will, they'll just walk by me and hit me. <laughs> they, I'm an adult and they don't, they don't, you know, they'll just hit my arm or leg and they'll smile or they'll just do things that I'm like, what sets me, why do they <laughs> think I'm different? But somehow I've developed this gift of play that comes through. And one of the things that I've, I've, that is the big one of the biggest joys in my life is that I have experienced the, with God. I'm going to share a couple times. Um, one, I was out in San Francisco by the ocean, and I had I was supposed to actually preach a sermon that night, and I had nothing. I didn't know what I was going to say. I had nothing, 
And I was sitting on this high bank and looking down and the ocean was being blown by the wind. And it was pretty a windy day. And uh, I was sitting there. Of course, I often complain to God. I don't know why I'm such a whiner, but I was like, God, you got to give me something to say tonight. I have nothing to say. I can't believe this. And the wind's blowing and I'm, I'm irritated and I'm sitting in this ravine kind of at the top and the wind is churning up the ocean and it's creating all this foam down below, these big like billows of foam from the waves. And, 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 and the wind starts blowing and these little balls of foam start shooting up this ravine and past me. I'm like, put run, like hitting them out of the way. Like, the foam, come on. The foam coming from There's what? sea foam. Oh, sea foam. Yeah, okay, the yeah. sea foam's coming up and yeah. it's passing me. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm like, God, I need something. I don't need this, t- this distraction right now. And, and then the whole, everything changed. I felt like I say, just relax. If you don't have anything to say, or if, if I give you something to say, you'll be fine. Just relax. And then all of a sudden, this big mass of sea foam detached from the rocks and got into the air and started blowing up this ravine. And this massive foam is like blowing up towards me. And I'm like, and all of a sudden, I just felt like I said, let's just play. Let's just play. <laughs> and this foam shoots up and it goes over my head and shoots up in the air. And so I get up and there's these, these, uh, farm fields that are, uh, there. And I, and this foam shoot, and I got, I get up and I throw my books aside and I start chasing this foam. I just start chasing this, <laughs> this massive ball of foam th- across these farm fields and I'm laughing and I'm chasing it. I'm, I feel like God wants to play with me. And, and we, and I chase it for quite a ways cause it's really windy. And then I think I, it came to the ground and I hit it and everything and 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 then slowly walked back. I've but, never heard of sea foam being thrown up in the air. Oh, no, it was a, it was it I was don't know, so is that cool. A, is that a common thing? It was part of the country. I or? don't know. It was very windy <laughs> and it was perfect. And it was playing me, with sea foam in the air. <laughs> it was like a, it was like an invitation. And, and and then that night I I went to speak and I just shared. You know, God wants to play with us. Sometimes he just wants to relax and play with us. And I shared my experience and it was, it was something valuable to the people. And that is, that is a, that's a, that is a valuable message and side of God too, that we don't, oh, we, we don't, uh, we don't ever think about. I, I, for me, it's, it's powerful and, and important. I'll share one more story of I, and, and, and some people could say, Hey, God has nothing to do with this. That's fine. I for me it's for me that it just the connection seems real. And one time I was at Lake Powell and I was camping in one canyon and I decided I wanted to hike up across the desert over to another canyon. And there were it was pretty far away, the other canyon, maybe not that far, maybe a mile, mile and a half. So I I got up in the morning, got water, and I hiked up to the top, and I'm walking across the desert, and it's 90, 100 degrees, and I'm getting hotter and hotter, and I walk, and I find a place to get down into the next canyon. I go down this ravine. I get all the way down there. A couple hours, I'm sweating like crazy. I'm so hot. I'm like red, beat, beat red, and I get to the other, the water in the other canyon, and I realize I cannot get into the water that it's too steep if 
if I go in, I won't be able to get out. Maybe I'll drown or I don't know. And so I, I come to this, this spot that's about five feet above the water. And I'm like, oh, God, so close, God, so close. And it's rounded over. And the whole time I'm talking with God, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, this is so tempting. I, I, if I, but I know if I jumped in, I'm, I'm not sure I'll be able to go in. So I'm looking at this rounded over piece of, of sandstone that goes down into the, the canyon water. And there's this little crack in it. Now, maybe I could pull myself up by the crack, but I'm not really sure. And I'm pacing back and forth. And what I don't notice that is that there's a little bit of green moss on, on the on the slope. And so I, I'm pacing back and forth. And I feel like uh, you know later I'm, I, I felt like God was in this like, oh, you're just worrying too much. You know, I think that I felt like God was sort of like that. So I'm walking back forth and I step on this little green moss and my feet shoot out and I land on my butt like a bun dive, you know, off a bite. I land on my butt and bam, I fall into the water. And it felt so good. I was so, so hot. It felt so good. And so then and then I'm like, oh, great, God. Now I'm in the water. I don't even know if I could get out. And no one knows I'm here. And so I swim along and I get to that little crack and I spent maybe five minutes getting my fingers into that crack and pulling myself up like a, like a, a walrus or something. And at that, at that place, that was the only way you that probably the, could get out. Yeah. Other than swim out to the main channel, which would be quite a swim wow. and flag down a boat, which was my next option. But I found this crack and I was able to pull myself up there. And so then, uh, and then I'm like, yeah, God. And so then I got out and I'm like, I know what happened. You, I know what happened, God. You came and you just tapped me in the back and you pushed, you pushed me, didn't you? You pushed me. <laughs> and I had this whole like back and forth with, with God about him pushing me in. And once I got out, I was just doing flips in. I was diving. Oh, yeah, I was yeah. jumping Did in. You get, and you always had to use that crack. I had to, to use the crack <laughs> and I, I knew I could do it. So I was able to cool off and then found a shady place to read but when I'm really anxious and stressed that's one of the places I go I go to that water that I need for refreshment and life and for me it symbolizes God's grace and sometimes being immersed in God's grace is a dangerous thing it doesn't it's it's a strange thing to say but God is so awesome and so powerful that it's not something to take for granted that sometimes we can drown in that in, 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 a, I don't know how to even describe it, but for me, I go there and it's a place where I'm submerged in the grace of God, but it's a powerful place that it's only by the grace of God that I can get out of there in order to get back to my, my camp. What is, what is that? What is that description of the lion in uh, Lewis's? Chronicles oh, yeah. of Narnia, where where Aslan, he describes yeah. he describes Aslan as not safe, but yeah. but um, oh the listeners are going to go they're, they're going this is they know the quote um, not safe but good or not yeah safe, I think but, it's uh, Lucy and uh, and and the other guy that young guy who turns into a, a dragon I think they're talking and and he's 
Lucy's been with Aslan, and I think they're talking, and, and, and he says, uh, it's, I'm, it's good that you're safe with him. And she said, and she says to him, oh, oh, he's not safe. Yeah. He's good. Yeah, yeah. But he's not safe. That's right. You know, that's and right, I think that's, right. that's, that's how right. God is. Yeah. He's good. Yeah. But we, there's no, I don't want to ever presume that God is safe for me. God is good. God is beautiful. But there's a, a real sense of, of, of danger in relationship with, with God that we, and Jesus brings that out, you know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I ask you to do? I never, I'll, I never, no, why, do you, why do you call me? Why do you call me good? No, that's in another, oh, that's, that's another in another person. passage. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Uh, I'm going to tell my father, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. Yeah, you yeah. know, that this presumption that, oh, Jesus is going to save me because I've done everything right or I know what's going on. Um, that's dangerous. There, faith is one thing, but presumption is another. Mm -hmm. And presumption in terms of religion and faith is dangerous. That's when people use power uh, instead of compassion. That's when people judge others instead of judging themselves and, and allowing God to forgive them. Mm. So, Dan, we've been listening to your stories um, that are fantastic about different places you've been that have, that have uh, haven't made sense as to why you've been in those situations. But oftentimes as you reflect back, you see how they, um, oftentimes worked out for good purposes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And some of those stories, in fact, many of those stories contain personalities, figures in your life, like for all of us, um, had a deep impact on us. Right. Um, I'm curious to hear more. Um, so I'd really like to hear a little more about, um, about your dad. Okay. And, and um, as you look back, how he affected you and, and is, you know, is responsible for helping form the man that you are today. And um, if we have time, uh, I'd like to, I'd like to hear about how uh, he and your stepmom came together as well. Yeah. My, well, my dad, it, I think the biggest thing for me, uh, well, one of the big things for me growing uh, while we were growing up was that he was uh, an immigrant he was from the Czech Republic or Czech, you know, but it was called Czechoslovakia at the time. He had come to America. He escaped communism. Uh, we didn't know a lot of that. We just knew that our dad spoke a little differently than other dads because he had, an, he had a pretty strong accent. Um, and sometimes my brother Dean and I would make fun of his accent, not when he was around. No, in our uh, our private times in, in, outside or in the bedroom, we would mock it a little bit, but uh, we would make fun of how he said certain words. But, uh, but I think a huge part of uh, his effect on me was in some sense, I don't know how to describe it, but I would say 
that he had a European way of thinking that he brought with him just from from the old country. You know, he would talk about the old country. And, uh, and I think growing up with my father, we were fairly isolated. We didn't have a lot of friends as we were growing up. And we spent most of time, the time with just my brother, my sister, and my father. And then later on, when my brother Walt was came with uh, my stepmom, Ines, then we spent time with, with him. But which I think we were uh, affected a lot on how my father thought. He was one of the things that I am actually grateful for now, very grateful for, is he was a very critical uh as like when we would watch tv he was very critical of the commercials and the things they were saying and he would always talk back to the tv and you know stupid call them uh idiots or whatever and um so he was he would criticize the commercials you know like and and basically show us that uh they were just trying to sell us something. They weren't really speaking to our, for our good or telling us the, what was true. And uh, he was often back and forth with the TV. <laughs> so he brought a he brought a European way of thinking to the family. Mm -hmm. And uh, can you go a little deeper into uh, sort of describing what some of those uh, like worldviews of his were that that uh, he brought to you. Yeah, I, I think, um, and I'm not, I'm not completely clear on it, but I do know that now as an adult, for much of my adult life, I really haven't felt like a, a really good American. I haven't felt like, ah, you're an American son and you uh, love this country and you, you know, I just, I've never felt really patriotic. And so I connected somewhat, although my father was very grateful to come to America from out of communism. And he was far more grateful and proud of this country probably than I've ended up being. But I think his criticalness of capitalism, even though he left communism, he, in, in his criti criticisms of those commercials and the, the ways that, uh, the world tried to sell you things and made it all about stuff. He was very critical of that. And I think that just seeped into who I am and, and seeped into my bones in a way uh, that I think with my faith has become a really powerful thing. Uh, I think the other, other ways, uh, well, <laughs> one of the ways we were very embarrassed by with my father, I think in Europe, they just, uh, They'll just change clothes, you know, in the middle of nowhere or on a beach with people all around. And there's there's this kind of body sense of of not being ashamed of who you are. And I was very ashamed as a little boy. But my father, he would like wrap a towel around himself and change his bathing suit right in the middle of like a beach crowded beach or something and or he would hardly have the towel around him and that was all we were always so embarrassed like dad what are you what are you doing he was so yeah. <laughs> he was so classic but he just had a sense uh he didn't have a sense of of shame with that stuff uh 
So, and, and yeah. I think that's some of that, uh, well, some of that may have affected me adversely, but because I, I became a very shamed filled person for a lot of my life. <laughs> you had commented in uh, one of your stories um, that your, your dad obviously had high hopes coming to America, mm -hmm. escaping communism. Yeah. And uh, things just didn't work out really the way he had hoped and the way he had wanted. What was that like? Um, I think uh, my father was a, a lot frustrated a lot in his life, especially with his work life. Um, he was in our early years was trying to pursue a job that he, I think in back in the old country, back in Prague where he grew up, I think originally he wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, and that was his goal for education and wanting to, that's what he wanted to do. But then that seemed to go out the window when he came to the States, his accent, his English wasn't good enough. He became a, an engineer, but I remember when we were in high school, my stepmom, Mother Ines, she would say to us uh, that my father often got passed over for promotions, and she thought it was because of his accent and that they wouldn't promote him because he was uh, working at a factory that had some military aspects to it. and. Uh, and, and other things, but she she would say that your poor father will not be uh, promoted at the rate that other people around him are being promoted because of his accent. And it was the Cold War and he had a very Eastern European accent. And I could see that being true, that uh, there's this fear of, of, of Russia and the, the Soviet Union nations and, and so I think that was a big part of, of his frustration was that he could advance in the world like, like he wanted to. I mean, his relationship with my mom had to be absolutely crushing that here he comes to this new country, meets this woman, wonderful woman, marries her, and then she, be, uh, she has mental illness and he doesn't. I'm sure he didn't know how to cope with that. Uh, what that, that just must've been really difficult for the first years of his marriage and raising kids. And so when your parents were divorced, um, your dad got sole custody. Yeah. 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 Um, well, we took it, we were, we went with my mom for a while, uh, and she took us to Oakland, California. I remember driving from Denver to Oakland with uh, a, a friend of hers, Lewis. Uh, and we ended up in Oakland. I have a few memories of being in a, uh, an African-American house with her and my brother and sister and them feeding us. And I almost started a fire in the living room behind a chair. I think my one of my ticks back then was playing with matches. I was so I was so into matches. You're kleptomaniac. Yeah, I was a little kleptomaniac, or not a klepto, a pyro. Oh, pyro! Yeah, that's Klepto's right. Stealing. Yeah, that's I right. was a, a pyromaniac. <laughs> yeah, I was such a pyromaniac. I don't know why, but I was lighting matches behind this chair. My mom got really mad at me. Of course, she should have. <laughs> and uh, uh, I and I eventually 
in my life. I burned down a garage as a kid because of that pyromania. There's a story. Yeah. And uh, so. Did your dad ever find out? um, Yeah. Might as well tell that story. We lived in Minnesota. We were living in this big old house there. uh, And we would play in the back alleyway with some kids uh, from the block. And one day I went with a couple of these kids to a garage and we were just in there messing around. And I don't know if I had matches or they had matches. And so we were lighting these matches and throwing them on this old mattress. <laughs> I don't that had exposed foam and, 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 and cloth, you know, cotton innards or whatever. And we were just messing around, throwing matches at it. And then we got bored and we left and we went down the street and we were playing. And about an hour later, I remember playing and hearing these sirens. And then I looked up and there's this tower of smoke. This garage is inflamed, is engulfed in flames and it's just going up. And the, the fire engine came and it burnt, basically it burnt to the ground. <laughs> was it abandoned or did it somebody? No, it was it? somebody's somebody house. It was it. their garage, but it was not attached to the house. It was an unattached mm-hmm. garage. Mm-hmm. In, in, in the alleyway. Well, um, and so I guess these kids got in trouble for it and they told their parents that I did it. And so I remember my dad asking me about it. And for most of my life as an early child, I would say up to my teenage years, I was the scapegoat for my father of the family. I think he just took off a lot of stuff out on me, probably from my mom and stuff. So no matter what I said, most of my early life, I, my father did not believe me. So if I, I, if he blamed me for something like uh, breaking a window and I didn't do it. And I said, dad, I did not, I didn't do it. He would say, stop lying. And he would whip the crap out of me. And that was most of my story. So here we are, I I participated in burning down a garage and my dad comes to me and says, what happened? What was going on? And I said to him, I didn't want to tell him about the mattress for some reason. So I'm like, well, we were lighting matches and throwing them on these in the, on the gasoline spots in the garage. And, and he said, you know, and I, and I told him what basically what happened and that I was there. And I expected uh, a monumental beating from this and he didn't do it. He just said, okay. And he walked away. I guess he was talking back and forth with the people down the street and just said, you know, you know, uh, my son says everybody was lighting matches and putting them on the oil spots and, Mm -hmm. And he never, never beat me for it. And I, that was so confusing to me because it was something I actually had done and I told him about. And for some reason, he didn't beat me as an adult. I figured some of this out. I think for me, maybe beat him whipping me would be an admission of guilt and he would have had to end up paying for the garage somehow or part of it. Uh, I don't know, but for some reason, uh, <laughs> he yeah, didn't yeah. do it, yeah. you know. But for most of my life, it was, ah, Danny, uh, you're in trouble, basically, and or I would be beat up for stuff. Um, 
So how many years between, um, you know, your mom and dad being divorced and your dad remarrying Inez? Um, I think probably about seven, seven years. Uh, Inez was our babysitter in Denver when we lived in Denver for a while. She was one of our babysitters. And so we would be at her house a lot. And her son, Walt, was our uh uh, who became our step, our adopted brother. Uh, we would play with him and she had an older brother or an older son named uh, Jim. And uh, we didn't get to know him much. So we moved with my father, Just your father. Okay, to Minneapolis. It. We were there for a couple of years. And all, all of a sudden, one day, Inez shows up with Walt. And oh, we're like, oh, wow, they come to visit us. How neat. They're going to visit us. And so Walt came and he was playing in our little, we had one of those little three foot above ground pools that we were playing in. And Walt came back swimming with us. And we thought they were just visiting. And uh, my dad and Ines came to us. We're out in the backyard, I remember. And they said, uh, we're going to go out for a little while. So you guys, you boys, uh, you girls, you, you guys just play. And so we were playing and they went out. Well, it turns out uh, they went out and they got married and they, they didn't say anything to us. And so they came back and uh, they got us out of the pool. I said, we want to tell you something. And they said, guys, we were now married. Inez is your new mother. And we were shocked. We had no, no one said anything. This was coming. We had no clues. But uh, she was a person of faith in some sense. I didn't know completely about that. But she was a, had been a Presbyterian. And she was a church-going person. And so eventually when we moved from Minnesota to California to San Diego, uh, she had convinced my dad to... Uh, make us go to church uh, to Sunday school. And we would, uh, we would go, they would take us up there and drop us off a lot of times. And eventually what I discovered there was like this group of people, this family that cared about me. And uh, I was kind of surprised. I wasn't used to this and they loved me for who I was and they cared about who I was and they were nice, and um, and I started becoming a part of the the Sunday school and then the youth group, and felt accepted there. Would Inez go to church with you guys? She would go to the worship service. We rarely went to the worship service early on. We would go to Sunday school or in uh, midweek. They would drop us off. That's when they would drop us off for the youth group. Uh, like sixth graders or junior high, high school group. Um, and uh, so I never was too commit. I knew she was a person of faith later on when I became a, what I would call becoming a Christian. Uh, we would talk once in a while and she would, she was very um, much for me. I, I felt mm -hmm. she was very much for me. One of the good things that she did for us kids was she apparently that she made some deal with my father when they were getting married that he was to stop beating us and uh, 
that she would not marry him unless he stopped doing that because she had been present for a few of those uh, times with us. And she said that I'm not, she wouldn't have anything to do with that. Mm. And so she actually got him to stop. And he did. He stopped. He stopped. He didn't stop calling us names and putting <laughs> us down and, and dumping our food on us if we ate wrong or stuff like that. But he did not uh, beat us anymore. How did, uh, how did your dad, by the way, what is your dad's, what's his name? Jerry. Jerry. But it's like Yirshi. Uh, so it's J-I-R-I, Yirshi. Yirshi. Yeah, and that was his name. And how did how did they uh, how did he and Inez uh, seem to function together? Um, it seemed to function pretty well. Uh, she was often he was very he would be very angry a lot. So he smoked a pipe, <laughs> and he had every time he got angry, which was on almost a daily basis or a couple of days. He uh, he would clench his teeth so hard and turn bright red. And he, if he was smoking a pipe, he would just bite the end of his <laughs> pipe off. He broke so many pipes. He got the pipe where you just screw in, screw it in a new end. And yeah, he had yeah. all these ends that he had just bitten right off the pipe when he was angry. But she was off, always saying, "Jerry, Jerry, calm down. You know your blood pressure, Jerry. Your blood pressure." She would try to calm him down when he was really angry. And uh, the anger seemed to mostly be about you kids. Oh, yeah. Almost entirely. <laughs> That's what it sounds almost like. Almost entirely. I saw him one time get mad at the neighbor and almost get in a fight with a neighbor. And But most, almost all the time it was about us kids. And uh, But they were always flushing us out of the house. I think Inez was, you know, always go out in the backyard, play in, go out, play in the street. We were outside most of the day so into your dad evening. Calmed down, like, uh, kind of, or... no we would just be out there all oh, the time I see. so yeah. that we he we weren't under foot or whatever and so we were always inventing things to play in the backyard we we would do all we made a whole fantasy world of we made a circus we would do all these circus acts uh later was this, on was this play. all four of you kids or uh yeah all four of Walt us and your two brothers yeah. and you no, or, I'm, I'm sorry Walt, Dean, and Ava, and I. Yeah, yeah. And we uh, would play in the backyard and play circus. Uh, or later on, we, us guys would play football in the street. I loved playing street football was, uh, with the neighbors and the other kids in the neighborhood. But yeah, we'd always play in the backyard. Make up. We made up all kinds of things. How did your relationship uh, uh, continue? What was it like with Inez then? Um. I think it was good. She, uh, she, she was a great cook. We, our food, my dad was a good cook too, but it was mostly uh, food from the old country, cabbage, meat, cabbage, potatoes. Uh, he would put caraway seeds on everything, which we hated as kids. All of the meat he cooked, he poor caraway seeds, um, like what you see in rye bread, you know. Yeah. And, uh, but Inez came with a whole different menu, you know, chili and all these foods that we had never had, but we really liked. And so she would take care of us really well with that and eating. And and then she she was she was generous in secretive ways, I think, with me, uh, you know, and but she she had notes everywhere. Turn the lights off. 
we wash the dishes, uh, don't eat this. Every everything in the refrigerator and the freezer, mo or a lot of things had notes on them. Do not eat. This is for your father. You know. She seemed. She seems like a woman who brought some stability to your family. She did. She brought some stability. I think in a lot of ways, really great. And uh, I mean, she was a good stepmother. The, although she would, she was a, my dad always called her a Scott because she was, she was a very much a penny pincher and saved in any way she could. And she would buy milk some in bulk and freeze it or on sale and freeze it. And then she'd put it in the back closet to unfreeze, but it always turned sour <laughs> and was horrible. And, and the, and my dad and her, they would make us kids drink it. We, they would not throw away anything. So we'd drink a lot of times we'd be drinking sour milk and it was the worst thing. <laughs> I, I hated it so bad. And we would try to, you know, we ate in the kitchen by ourselves a lot of times and they would eat with TV trays out in the living room in front of the TV and we would try to sneak quietly to the sink and pour the milk down. And half the time we would get caught and we'd have to drink another glass of it. And it, oh, it's such a struggle to drink that. We'd hold our nose. We'd figure out every, uh, every way we could to not drink it. And so did your, no. did your dad, any sense of humor that you remember? Oh, my dad had a great, he sense. Had a great sense of yeah, humor. Yeah, he had, because so far we're just yeah. sort of getting this angry, serious guy. Yeah, but, he was he yeah. was very much had a sense of humor, uh, joked around uh, a lot, liked to tell jokes, um, and, and would laugh. But it was kind of either that or angry. You know, it was like you didn't know what you were getting. Uh, but, you know, he would always come over to me and rub his hand up the back of my neck, up my head, yeah. kind of. And he'd say Bolshevik. And that was kind of his pet name for me. But uh, <laughs> it turns out the Bolsheviks were the ones that started communism in, in Russia. And, and so it was kind of a, and he escaped from communism. So I'm not sure what that name meant now. I don't, yeah, I guess I've always heard it pronounced Bolshevik. Yeah, Bolshevik. Yeah, and, Bolshevik. And, and okay, he, yeah. uh, and I don't know what that meant for him that I was a Bolshevik. <laughs> you don't even know what it meant. You know, so but it didn't feel comfortable it, like going up the back of your No, it didn't it wasn't bad. It was like his it was just like it was a it was like his way of affection, I it was, think. Okay, yeah. Yeah. But that European influence where you talked about your dad realizing uh the flaws of capitalism and mm -hmm. Uh, that very much is a big part of your your life. I wouldn't yeah. even call it capitalism as right. much as just uh, the greed of of human beings that you're so aware of, especially yeah. combining that with what you've learned from the Gospels. Yeah. Uh, so that I can see how that was probably a, an early influence on you and how you thought. Yeah, I think it it, it made me very aware of that because in the Gospels, the thing that Jesus talks about. I think the the most is money. It's and and the thing you hear the the least about in church, other than when they need money, is money. You know, it's it, it, it's Jesus is very much uh, criticizing and approaching the economic aspects of how people relate to each other socially in the Gospels, and for me that kind of has jumped off the pages and. 
and and have always struggled with well, why does Jesus talk about this so much? And we don't approach it in church. We don't want to talk about our finances. We don't want to talk about money. You know, it it's all hush hush. And yet Jesus says you can only serve one or the other. You can either serve money or you can serve God. You can serve both of them. And I think uh, a, a lot of times why the church becomes the wrong place for me at the right time is that the, the church wants to serve both gods. They want to serve the God of money, and, and even though they wouldn't say that, but it, practically it works out that way, and they also want to serve the God of Jesus. And and it just doesn't work. Hmm. And, and I think, and so for me, I'm often pointing out, <laughs> you know me, Brad, <laughs> I'm often pointing out those economic aspects, that aspect of capitalism and greed and materialism that Jesus would have just gone after if he was preaching hmm. in our, in our time. Uh, he would turn more that he would turn a lot of tables over and, uh, so for me, that maybe that does reach back to my father and um, growing. I we grew up, I would say, pretty poor, but I I, I didn't notice it, and mm-hmm. I, I I noticed more my relationship uh, with my father's anger. But um, but I think the things that did affect me were when I saw grace manifested through people. And I'm not using this in a religious sense. The first place that I ever understood grace was Halloween. We would uh, go out in the streets at night as kids, at, in the beginning with our with my father, but then by ourselves, my brother and I. And we would walk up to people's door and you'd knock on the door and say, trick or treat. And they would actually give you something give you candy or cookies for free. Hmm. And I could not understand it. I was like, this blows me away. This is, this is a free gift from people. I don't have to, I just dress up. And it was a symbol. Halloween was actually my first holiday that symbolized grace. It didn't symbolize evil or witches or it was like, whoa, this is kindness. This is, this is free this is love uh giving me food mm-hmm. and so that was my first experience of grace and so when i became a christian the most powerful actually image for me of that was that i say god didn't come to me through my mind god didn't come to me through my heart god came to me through my stomach because when we had moved to san diego and we were being forced up to the church the church we were going to had a fall festival every year and in the fall festival they would sell you know craft goods and and baked goods and so one day one time they had a fall festival and i went up there i don't know if i got dropped off or i was up there and they were selling all these things and there was a table full of baked goods and there were all these pies on the table you know apple pie and pumpkin pie and i really like pumpkin pie <laughs> And so I'm, and I had no money. I had no money. I was just looking at this stuff and there's these whole pies and I'm gawking at these pies. And there's a woman who was a part of the church who became my spiritual mother. And her name was Rosemary Ward. And she was an older 
woman with glasses and had had knees replaced and walked with a cane. And she was about five foot tall. I'm not even sure she was five foot. She was so short. And uh, she had been a teacher all her life. And uh, anyway, she saw, she was behind the table selling the pies and pieces of pie. And she saw me gawking at the pies. And I, she said, would you like some pie? And I, I said, oh, no, no, I don't have any money. And I, I was starting to walk away. And she says, she said, wait, wait. She says, here, take this. And she reached down and she grabbed a pumpkin pie, not a piece. She grabbed the whole pumpkin pie and she handed it to me. And I'm like, no, I can't pay for this. And she's like, you don't need any money. This is yours. And it, it stunned me. It was, that was a reflection of God's grace that was really powerful to me. And I walked, I went home with a whole pumpkin pie and my parents were like, well, how do you get a pie? You didn't have any money. I'm like, they just gave it to me. She, this woman, Rosemary gave it to me and they're like, wow. And so um, that became, uh, that now for me is actually the seminal mm-hmm. image of me discovering Jesus mm-hmm. through Rosemary mm-hmm. who treated me, I think like he would have and with grace and gave me just overwhelmingly a, a whole pie, not a piece, mm-hmm. just lavished love on me. And do you remember other so, incidents with the Rosemary where she demonstrated that? Oh yeah, she yeah. she was a person. She, I would say, she's my spiritual mother because she was a person of generosity, mm-hmm. and uh, she became very close to my wife and my two daughters and I when we lived and we would go over her house all the time. And uh, anyway, when she, at one point, she gave each of my daughters $10,000 for a college fund when they was this rosemary you're yeah. talking about wow yeah and she just loved people she was in charge of sending stuff to missionaries from the church she would always put together these barrels of clothes and shoes and send them from the church and she was always raising money and gathering stuff for from for other people and there were refugees that came to our church from from Viet, uh, Vietnam and then later from uh, Ethiopia. And she would treat them like really, she would become a mother to them. And eventually she gave, when she died, she gave her house. She willed her house to an Ethiopian family and gave it to them. So you and, kept in relationship with her well into your adult years? Yeah. Uh, she, I can't remember when she died was, uh, I don't remember the year, uh, but I, I think it was probably when I was in my 30s at some point. But so I, what I'm what I'm gathering from this story is your your home life, your your family life. There wasn't a whole lot of generosity communicated, right, or experienced. Yeah. Um, there was, uh, you know, there was there was oftentimes shame, oftentimes a sense of you didn't deserve certain you know yeah certain things yeah and then all of a sudden you're kind of thrust into having to go to a, a church yeah <laughs> and, weird thing and and you started experiencing something that you'd never experienced before yeah. uh in that church yeah and, and with and with persons like rosemary yeah and it became a family to me it became and she became a spiritual mother to me and uh i 
started following Jesus there. Uh, I, I wouldn't call it then. I didn't call it that then. I would say I became a Christian. Uh, I was baptized in that church. And I actually uh, eventually was sent from that church to go to seminary to become a pastor. Mm. And they became a very deep, uh, deep and profound part of my life. Uh, but Rose, Rosemary was the, one of those early seeds of grace. And yeah, there's yeah, some stories some about stories that. There. <laughs> oh my goodness. A little bit of whacking and editing. You got some big stories. There. Yeah, whack that, edit that. And edit. <laughs> All right, cue the music. Um, <laughs> I was unprepared for that. <laughs> All right, I'm the music. Da, 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 da.